You are listening to Living for the Cinema with Jeff Gershon. I am a cinema enthusiast of all genres, here to discuss with you one film every episode. The good, the bad, and the ugly of what makes each film unique. And finally, spoiler alert. No matter when this film was released, there's a good possibility I will be revealing spoilers about the plot or even possibly the ending. So just be warned. Michael Clayton, which came out in 2007. It was directed by Tony Gilroy. It stars George Clooney, Tom Wilkinson, Tilda Swinton, Sidney Pollack, Michael O'Keefe, Austin Williams, Ken Howard, Robert Prescott, Terry Serpico, Bill Raymond, and Dennis O'Hare. The genre would be corporate legal thriller. What happened here stays in this room. Attorney Michael Clayton. I need your help with Arthur. Protect secrets. Michael, they kill them. Those farms, those families. What are you telling me? You're not ready to hear it. He knows something that would win the whole case. He will expose the truth. None of this comes back to me, right? We have a situation. Stay in the car, lock the door. Do I look like I'm negotiating? Michael Clayton. This has to be one of the best legal thrillers of recent years. The overall story of keen legal mind or minds taking on the abuses of a nefarious large corporation, it's been done a million times before. But this film takes such a unique approach to that story with a perfectly structured screenplay and strong actors all at the top of their games that it just works beautifully. The Nefarious Corporation is Unorth, a massive conglomerate which specializes in agricultural products, including one which might actually be killing farmers who use it for their crops, resulting in a giant class action lawsuit with their lead counsel, Karen Crowder, on the front lines, constantly in communication with the company's law firm and other nefarious people. Crowder is played by the chameleonic Tilda Swinton, and she just gives an amazing performance, which she deservedly won an Oscar for. It's a true standout performance of someone who's always trying to get ahead of a situation or fix it, while also working extremely hard to keep herself at arm's length, and ultimately realizing how she keeps making things worse. Her facial expressions and body language just sell all of this so well throughout the movie. The law firm her counsel is working with is led by Marty Bach, played by the late, great Sidney Pollack, who's an all-time director. I mean, he directed Tootsie, Three Days of the Condor who also happened to be a very strong actor in his own right. He has several exchanges with our titular hero, Michael Clayton, which are just sublime. 30 years I know Arthur. Good years. And what I feel right now, if I'm honest, I I can't even say it's so awful. You say it. We caught a lucky break. We did, didn't we? Speaking of which, the title role and the main protagonist is, of course, Michael Clayton. Played with less swagger than you would expect, but no less impressive by the Kloonster. In an Oscar-nominated performance, which takes all of the most appealing attributes of this actor, his charisma, his charm, and turns them on their head a bit. You see, Clayton's not actually a lawyer for this firm. He's actually what you would call a, quote, fixer, or a janitor, as he also refers to himself. His specialty is doing all of the things that lawyers cannot do, navigating the law firm's clients through very dicey situations involving the law, and he's very good at his job. This time around, the main task that he has been summoned for is to manage a situation involving an attorney from his very law firm who would be Arthur Edens, 
played to the hilt by Tom Wilkinson in a performance which earned him an Oscar nomination as well. Arthur is a brilliant lawyer who has been handling this U-North case for the past several years, representing them against a large contingent of folks who are now suing them for damages. And this ongoing case has taken its toll on Arthur, as he has been working on it relentlessly for years. So much so that he has a breakdown in the middle of a deposition. And not just any breakdown, mind you. Nope. Arthur strips naked and starts relaying questionable information to anyone who will listen. We're standing in the middle of the street. The lights change and there's this wall of traffic, serious traffic speeding towards us. And I, I, I freeze. I can't move. And I'm suddenly consumed with the overwhelming sensation that I'm covered with some sort of film. And it's, it's in my hair, my face. And it's, it's, it's like a glaze, like a, a coating. And, and at first I thought, oh my God. I know what this is. This is some sort of amniotic embryonic fluid. I'm, I'm, I'm drenched in afterbirth. I've, I've breached the chrysalis. I've been reborn. His conscience has now gotten the better of him, and this culminates in a fantastic sequence about halfway through when Arthur has basically now gone rogue. He's gone rogue with U-North documents, no less, internal documents implicating them, and he just spills all of the worst details of what he knows via phone call to the voicemail of Karen Crowder. Here we are, all together. Is everyone listening? Because this is the moment you've been waiting for, a very special piece of paper. So let's have a big, paranoid, malignant round of applause for United Northfield Cultivate Internal Research Memorandum number 229, June 19th, 1991. Which is also overheard via surveillance goons who have now been hired by Karen, and soon everyone has heard about it. And now action has to be taken. Uh-oh. This sequence with Arthur dishing out all the dirt on New North is just one of several memorable sequences in this film. Michael Clayton trying to talk down a wealthy dickhead who fled a hit and run allowing him to vent in his kitchen while Clayton's just trying to wake himself up from a poker-fueled stupor. I can get a lawyer anytime I want to. I don't need you for that. We're not sitting here for 45 minutes waiting for a goddamn referral. I don't know what Walter promised you, but I can a tell you A miracle worker. That's Walter on the phone 20 minutes ago. Direct quote, okay? Hang tight. I'm sending you a miracle worker. Oh, he misspoke. About what? About the fact that you're the firmest fixer or that you're any good at it? There's no play here. There's no angle. There's no champagne room. I'm not a miracle worker. I'm a janitor. The math on this is simple. The smaller the mess, the easier it is for me to clean up. Another one has Clayton having an intense back and forth with Arthur in a Manhattan back alley where the argument shifts directions about three times, all the while you just cannot take your eyes off of Arthur's oversized parcel of French bread. We're talking a lot of bread here. You making a delivery? No, no, no. Oh, very funny. No, no, uh, nothing like that. Oh, right here. Take one, please. It's really, it's, it's, it's still warm. It's the best bread I ever tasted. Michael, I have great affection for you. And you lead a very rich and interesting life. But you're a bag man, not an attorney. Another great sequence is Tilda Swinton's Karen coldly trying to weigh her options with an assassin for hire who she's talking to mysteriously outside, trying to keep calm while never drifting from corporate speak, which seems to unnerve her. You can tell she's actually finding it hard to believe the things that she's actually saying. And that's really what helps make Michael Clayton stand out as such a compelling thriller. We see unexpected layers develop for every major character including the so-called villains. What's the option that we're looking at along those lines? You're talking about the paper, the data? Well, I'm wondering if there is some other option. I mean, something I'm not thinking of. We deal in absolutes. Okay, I understand that, I do. I mean, the material, the papers, I'm not a lawyer. We, we, we try, we, we do what we can. 
Well, the other way. Is the other way. Do you think it's doable? Yeah, we have some good ideas. You say move, we move. The ideas don't look so good, we back off, reassess. Okay. And now that brings me to the categories. I'm going to jumble the order just a little bit here. I'm going to start with wasted talent, the most underutilized talent involved with the film. While I can't say that any talent involved was wasted for this film, as almost every element feels pitch perfect from those in front of the camera to those behind, I can't help but feel a bit disappointed in retrospect when I realize who was originally going to be cast in the title role of Michael Clayton. Yeah, it's a real doozy. The actor who was the first choice for this role in the mid-2000s was Denzel Washington, our greatest living actor, period, as I've reminded you on previous episodes. And I have to say that he would have been perfect for this role. He has always been amazing at playing morally compromised crusaders, and just picturing him delivering that final exchange with Tilda Swinton, I'm going to get to that a bit later, wow, it just gives me goosebumps. Alas, Denzel did end up taking on the role of Frank Lucas for American Gangster instead. And it's a good movie. He starred alongside Russell Crowe, was directed by Ridley Scott. It received some Oscar nominations, and it was a big hit. Kind of hard to argue with him choosing that one, even though it's not as good of a movie as this one. Now, none of this is taken away, of course, from George Clooney. He is fantastic in this. Might even be his best overall performance. But regardless, a man can dream, can't he? And that brings me to the next category. And I'm going to combine two categories because one kind of leads into the other. That would be the trailer moment. The scene or moment that best describes this movie. And the best needle drop. The best song cue or piece of score used throughout the runtime of the film. Because music is essential to film. Although, it's actually kind of a small part of this film. That's why they're combined. Funny how I've already cited several great moments in this movie. And I still have not even gotten to the two best ones. And yes, this is definitely a tie trailer moment between two standout sequences. One occurs a little bit more than halfway through, and one occurs at the very end. The first one has to be one of the most unnerving murder sequences that I have ever seen on screen, which takes me back to that under-the-table assassin who Karen had an awkward conversation with mentioned earlier. The target is Arthur, of course. We hear a knock at the door of his loft, he opens it, and zap! We see the two unassuming assassins nab him with a stun gun, and then lower him onto the floor carefully, gently, and then one of them blasts some pills into his mouth with a device that I'm still at a loss as to how to describe. What is it, a pill zapper? I'm not sure. Anyways, these assassins are played by Robert Prescott and Terry Serpico, two tall, icy blonde, blue-eyed men who could look intimidating if they wanted to. But what's more unnerving is that they don't. They're just very quiet, patient, and matter-of-fact in how they carry out the rest of this murder as one of them injects drugs into Arthur's foot, while the other one monitors his pulse to ensure that he doesn't have one. They're wearing stuff to cover their feet and heads, but you could easily just mistake these guys for cleaners or exterminators. Hmm. And all this is shown through one relatively straightforward tracking shot. It's definitely very chilling to watch, very chilling to watch someone's life being snuffed out this way. And it's brilliant in how Gilroy presents it to us. Arthur was a brash, lively individual who went out quietly, and that only makes it seem all the more heartbreaking to witness. We're good. Now, the other sequence is pretty much the polar opposite as it portrays an intense final confrontation in the hallway of a hotel reception hall immediately after Karen has finished the presentation with several U North executives and board members. 
explaining to them methodically and smugly how U-North was able to get a beneficial settlement for this large class action lawsuit. Karen is on top of the world as she struts out alone from this presentation, when suddenly who is standing behind her but Michael, whom she had thought had been killed. Needless to say, she's surprised by his appearance, and even more so what he presents her with. I'm not the guy that you kill. I'm the guy that you buy. Are you so fucking blind you don't even see what I am? I'm the easiest part of your whole goddamn problem, and you're going to kill me? Don't you know who I am? I'm a fixer. I'm a bag man. I do everything from shoplifting housewives to bent congressmen, and you're going to kill me? This is the cathartic event from Michael, which we have been hoping for over the past 100-plus minutes, and it is incredibly satisfying to witness. And even though Clooney's doing most of the talking, both actors are just completely killing it. Good. And then the other five is to forget about the 468 people that you knocked off with your weed killer. Let me finish up this meeting. I'll talk to Do Don. I look like I'm negotiating? And the capper for this sequence is what leads me to my selection for the best needle drop category. This brings me to James Newton Howard's background score. And it is truly in the background because you don't often hear it, nor is there actually much of any music featured throughout the whole movie. Just several long stretches where there's actually no music, no score is heard. Well, immediately after his final confrontation with Karen, Michael then gives his recording device to his detective brother, who's among several police who are there to arrest Karen for her involvement in Arthur's murder. We then see Michael walking out via escalator and then out to hail a cab, where he just gives the driver $50 in cash and asks him to drive for a little while. At the very least for me, this is the first time I found myself noticing Howard's score, which is a simple piano-based theme, which sounds kind of mournful. And even more so I'm noticing it because we now have one static shot. The camera is entirely focused just on Michael staring forward as the cab drives around Manhattan. And that's how the movie ends, including the closing credits. Just focusing on Michael staring forward, thinking about what has just transpired, it's a satisfying ending. But you also realize that as a result of what he has done, Michael is likely out of a job with his law firm. His successful career as a fixer is now likely over, since he pretty much burned that bridge just to do the right thing here. It, of course, helps to have the camera focused on a movie star face like that of George Clooney's. But still, this ending just works because you can really see the weight of this on his demeanor and expression. It's a simple, direct ending with pitch-perfect music to accompany it. And the track is called $25. Yeah, I have to think that that might have been an error on the record company's part, considering that he gave the cab driver $50. But who knows? It still really works. And now the final category, which would be the MVP. This is the person or people who are most responsible for the success of this film. As sterling as the cast is for this movie, it comes down to one creative force who both directed it and wrote the screenplay. Tony Gilroy. And this was his directorial debut, no less. 
after years of being one of Hollywood's most consistently competent screenwriters, with solid work on various thrillers, including The Devil's Advocate, Dolores Claiborne, and the first Bourne trilogy. As a writer, he always excelled at tight stories with tight structures. And he brings that to this movie as well. Now, he's not above throwing in some flair with regards to narrative structure, including flashbacks. As this film starts off with Clayton staring off the side of the road to look at those horses, and then the story kind of doubles back from there. But it serves a thematic purpose for how to best introduce us to this character. There is just loads of style to how he directed this, and he brings a freshness to what in lesser hands could have just come off as your standard conventional legal thriller. And since then, Gilroy has also directed the highly underrated romantic comedy slash corporate thriller Duplicity. The dude just excels at making corporate settings compelling, and apparently he's now thriving at presenting these types of settings in a different galaxy far, far away. Yeah, that's right. Gilroy is the creator and showrunner for Andor, the new streaming series on Disney+. In that series, he has actually managed to make even the organizational structure and office politics of the Empire seem compelling. No joke. Andor is the best thing to come out of the Star Wars universe in a long time. This guy just has the magic touch when it comes to grown-up entertainment. And for pulling that off as both writer and director with this film, Tony Gilroy is your MVP. Karen, I've got a whole board waiting in there. What the, what the, what the hell's going on? Who are you? I'm Shiva, the god of death. My rating for Michael Clayton is five stars out of five. Now, I'm sorry to have never seen this film in theaters, but since then, it has become a perennial rewatch for me on cable and streaming. I probably watch it at least once a year. Definitely one of the best thrillers of the 21st century. And if you're looking to watch Michael Clayton, it's currently available to rent or buy on all major streaming platforms. And that ends another janitorial review. Special shout out to my lovely wife, Marlene Gershon, for producing this podcast. And to my lovely daughter, Ella Gershon, for assisting in the editing. Please like, subscribe, and share the Living for the Cinema podcast. And follow and like us on Facebook, Instagram, and Letterboxd. And join us next time for another review from Living for the Cinema. Cinema.